Hey listeners, thanks for dropping in. I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. interesting types of murders to me has always been couple killings. It's hard enough to understand why one person kills, let alone two people killing together. Well, how does the universe align for that to happen? Exactly. I find it super fascinating that this happens as often as it does. And I think this is why this is my favorite type of murder. If I have to pick a favorite type of murder, it's the couple killing. So beware, (laughs) I'll probably do a lot of these cases. Do you know how weird that sounds? This is my favorite type of murder, but it's so true. We each have like our own ones. Like I love family annihilators. Those cases I find totally interesting. Right. Not that we love them, (laughs) but that we just find them super fascinating. Yeah. So for this reason today, I'm going to talk about two spree killers, 19-year-old Charles Starkweather and 14-year-old Carol Ann Fugate. Just a bunch of teenagers. So she was like Jerry Lee Lewis kind of relationship with this guy? Basically, because he was 19 and she was 14. And Jerry Lee Lewis, didn't he marry his 13-year-old cousin? I believe so. Maybe it was the Times, because it's right around the same year. Oh, interesting. Late 50s is when this was happening. It was the thing to do back then. Exactly. I'm glad it's... Well, sometimes it is the thing to do now, but... Yeah. Still illegal, listeners. It's still illegal. Charles and Carol are considered spree killers as opposed to serial killers. So I wanted to talk just a little bit about that as we get into it. According to the FBI definition, a spree killer is a person or more than one person who commits two or more murders without a cooling off period. The lack of cooling off period marks the difference between a spree killer and a serial killer. So is this like happens all in one day, like the mass shootings, or is that the difference between a spree killer and a mass shooting? Together, they kill 10 people in the span of eight days. Okay. So there's not really a cooling off period. But it's not necessarily all at once like a mass murder. Right. Cooling off period in different locations where a mass murder would happen all in one location. Charles also killed one other person just weeks prior to this eight day spree. So all by himself, not all with by the 14-year-old. Yeah, so he commits a murder on his own, and then they go on this re-killing. So in total, there was 11 people murdered, and I hate to say it, but two family dogs as well. Aw, that's so sad. I know. So here's your warning. I will talk about two dogs, but I won't talk about it in, in great detail. And 11 people. That's good. And 11 people. I do. <laughs> about the dogs but 11 people no problem right like i wonder how many people are more upset about the dogs than they are hearing about the people oh true story that would totally be a thing for people right oh i think to get more upset yeah definitely but before we jump into the murders let's start at the beginning so i'll start with charles charles raymond starkweather also known as charlie or chuck was born in lincoln nebraska on november 24th 1938 he was the third of seven children born to guy and helen starkweather His father, Guy, was mild-mannered, who worked as a carpenter, but was often out of work because of rheumatoid arthritis in his hands. Oh, that's a bad profession for him, then. It is. So his mom ended up helping out. She would work as a waitress when he wasn't able to work to help out with the income. So they were just your basic, regular, working-class family. His family life was great, but his school life was a negative experience for him. Charles attended Saratoga Elementary School, Irving Junior High School, and Lincoln High School. Charles was born with a mild birth defect, and I'm not quite sure if this is how I say it, but genuverum, which caused his legs to be misshaped. So basically bow-legged. Bow-legged, yeah. He also had a speech impediment. Oh, that always gets picked on at school. Always. So the two things together resulted in him being teased relentlessly by his classmates, which then causes his childhood trauma that leads him to act in the way that he does. Is that his excuse for why he does all this? Or is this just people looking back and saying, oh, this must be like one of the causes? No, when he talks about even all of his murders, he talks about how they provoked him. Oh, They deserved it. Gotcha. He was also on the shorter size, as if bow legs and speech impediment wasn't bad enough. He was only five foot three and a half and was given the nickname Little Red. He had red hair from his mom, and yes, I can attest that people will tease you for it as a kid. All redheads are hotheads. (laughs) Hey now. (laughs) He grew older and stronger and only seemed to excel at gym in school. He was average intelligence, but didn't apply himself. 
At 15, they discovered he had severe myopia. He couldn't even read the largest letter on the eye chart, which would have added to his poor grades. Oh, so here come those Coke bottle glasses. Poor kid. So he's got both legs. He's short, has red hair, speech impediment, impediment, and then has Coke bottle glasses because of his myopia. Nice. The glasses didn't seem that bad in the pictures when you look at him, but yeah, he did wear glasses. For Red sure. hair, four eyes, speech impediment. Oh yeah, he's going to be imagine. Yeah. He was totally the target. The kids ate it up. He was yeah. an easy target. So gym class was a physical outlet for his rage that was building because of the bullying taking place at school. He found you know exercise was a good way for him to get that out. As Charles concentrated on his physical outlet, his physical appearance, his rage that was building, he got stronger and stronger. And eventually, Charles started to bully the bullies, those who had picked on him. He's getting his revenge. He is. In his senior year, he dropped out of high school, and this rage spread then to anyone that he disliked. He blamed all his fights on being teased as a kid and was a relentless fighter. He wouldn't stop unless it was broken up or his opponent laid senseless. Like he had knocked oh them out. Oh my goodness. So no shut off valve. No, he was pretty ruthless. He became known as one of the meanest, toughest kids in his high school. His high school friend, Bob Von Bush, later said, He could be the kindest person you'd ever seen. He'd do anything for you if he liked you. He was a hell of a lot of fun to be around too. Everything was one big joke to him. But he had this other side. He could be mean as hell, cruel. If he saw some poor guy on the street who was bigger than he was, better looking or better dressed, he tried to take the poor guy down to his size. As a teen, Charles watched the movie Rebel Without a Cause and became obsessed with James Dean. He started doing his hair and he started to dress like James Dean with the tight jeans and the cowboy boots. And he really related to Dean's rebellious screen persona. If you look at the pictures of Charles Starkweather, you'll see that he totally looks similar to James Dean, right down to the cigarette hanging from his mouth. Nice. He had an idol. Somebody to look up to. Too bad it just didn't become a healthy thing for him. (laughs) So we'll switch to Carol now. Carol Ann Fugate was born on July 30th, 1943, and also lived in Lincoln, Nebraska. Her parents were William Fugate and Velda M. Bartlett. She had an older sister named Barbara, and at some point her parents divorced and her mom was remarried later to a man named Marion Bartlett, who was also a carpenter, same as Charles's dad. Her mom, Velda, and Marion had a daughter together who they named Betty Jean, so she was Carol's half-sister. Carol was a pretty girl with dark brown hair. She also had a rebellious streak and a volatile temper. She didn't do very well in school and was held back a grade. Oh, so that's going to make an awesome combination, right? Mm-hmm. Two people with volatile tempers. Yeah, the stars align for Ooh, things like lovely. this to happen. She was described by a teacher as a slow learner, but Charles thought she was all that and a bag of chips. He totally idolized her. It said he thought she was a wizard. A wizard. Well, meaning super smart. Okay. Not an actual wizard, but meaning super (laughs) smart. Super smart. Harry Potter wizard? (laughs) No. In 1956, at age 13, Carol was introduced to 18-year-old Charles by her sister, Barbara. Barbara was dating Charles's friend, Bob Van Bush, and they would go on lots of double dates. And it was noted that Charles actually had previously dated Barbara as well, Carol's older sister first. So Barbara brought along her, her little sister along on double dates to go out with an 18-year-old. Yeah, her boyfriend and her boyfriend's best friend. Nice. So they would go together. It's hard to kind of think about if this was just like a regular activity for the time, like 1950s is a different time than we would. But it would be super strange nowadays to see three 18-year-olds going on a double date and a 13-year-old tagging along. Like you for just sure. wouldn't see that. And most 18-year-old sisters don't want their 13-year-old sister tagging along. That's right. So was she sent along to be like a chaperone or was it like actually a double date? Actually a double date. Carol's mom and stepfather, because of all of this, did not approve of their relationship. Charles was five years older and a high school dropout at this time. By age 14, Carol's parents became more worried about her behavior and said she was growing up way too fast, way more than what they were comfortable with. Well, that's what happens when you hang out with people that are five years older than you. Especially at that age. That's like a Five years difference. at our age isn't a big deal at all. But five years when you're 13 and 14 and then to 18, 19, that's a big difference. There is a whole lot of development that happens in those years for sure. Definitely. It did not take Charles long to become smitten with Carol. He got a job loading and unloading trucks at the Western Newspaper Union Warehouse. He sought out this job because it was close to Whittier Junior High School, the school that Carol attended. Charles's boss didn't think much of him. He was quoted saying, 
Of all the employees in the warehouse, he was the dumbest man we had. Charles would stop at her school every day after she was done school to see her. So this worked out great for Charles. He had this job right close to her school so he could see her on the daily. Charles began teaching Carol how to drive, even though she was too young to legally drive and didn't have a license. One day she crashed his 1949 Ford into another car. The car happened to be registered to Charles's dad, Guy. His dad paid for the damages to the other car, but he was really upset with Charles for letting someone underage drive the car, as most parents would be. This led to a massive fight between Charles and his dad. The fight ended up getting physical, resulting in Guy kicking Charles out of the house. Oh, so now he's on his own. So now he's on his own. Interesting that he didn't flip out on her for wrecking his car, right? He has this temper that he just flies off the handle, but he doesn't get angry at her for wrecking his car. No, he idolizes Carol. She can do no wrong. She walks on water to him. He just totally is infatuated and in love with this girl. Okay. So much so that he was able to get into a physical fight even with his father over her, over yeah. the whole situation. And Where she was clearly house. in the wrong. Yeah, definitely. Right? And so was he. Yeah. Charles then quit his job at the warehouse and got a job collecting garbage for minimum wage. It was said that while on his garbage routes, Charles began plotting bank robberies. He resented the wealth of the people whose garbage he had to collect. So he thought, how am I going to get this money? He's a schemer. Well, he started to develop a nihilistic view and live by the philosophy that, quote unquote, dead people are all on the same level. So basically rejecting moral principles on the ground that life is meaningless. Despite this view, Charles treated Carol like a queen. Carol thought Charles was the cat's meow too, likely because he was so much older and so cool. At this point, remember, he's looking like James James Dean. Dean. Yeah. She was impressed with his toughness, his cool cars, his looks, and even though he didn't have much money, he would give her anything she wanted. Charles said that Carol meant more to him than anything else and that she almost made him stop hating himself. He liked how he looked to her. Aww. Which at the start, this is really sweet, to be honest. If you ignore their ages if and you the ignore their ages. And, and, yeah. But it was the first time I think that Charles really loved somebody and felt good about himself when he was with somebody. Right. So you can see why he really clung to this. Mm -hmm. Charles moved into the rooming house where his friend Bob and Barbara Fugate lived. So Bob and Barbara had since gotten married. Now that his relationship with his family was strained, Carol became even more so the center of his life. He told people they were going to get married and that Carol was pregnant, a lie that backfired when Carol's parents heard it. As a result, they wanted Carol to have nothing to do with Charles. And I think this situation would be really hard as a parent. I have daughters, and I think, what would I do if this was my daughter? We'd lock be really them hard. away. <laughs> Other than locking them away and throwing away the key, what can you do? Because I feel like the more you try to stop them from seeing somebody, the more it fuels their desire to go see them. Yeah, but at the same time, like, she's 13 and 14 when all this is happening. They're still babies then. They are. And he's technically an adult. It would be a tough situation for sure. Get a restraining order. I think that's what you do nowadays. And that always goes well. <laughs> yeah, it works well. On November 30th, 1957, the dark fate of these two teenagers begins. Charles enters a service station in Lincoln and tries to buy a stuffed animal for Carol on store credit. So good intentions. He just wanted the stuffed animal for his girlfriend. The store attendant working that night was 21-year-old Robert Colvert, and he refused to let Charles purchase the stuffed animal on credit. And this enrages Charles. He left the store to go get a shotgun. He returned around 3 a.m., so now it's technically December 1st, 1957. At first, he leaves the shotgun in the car and enters the store and buys cigarettes from Robert Colvert. Charles then gets back into his car and drives away, but then turns around. He goes back and re-enters the store, again leaving the gun in the car, and this time he buys a pack of gum. Once again, Charles drives away, but then goes back. So is he working himself up into doing it? I think so. He's driving away, coming back, buys the cigarettes starts to leave no i gotta go back well like is he working himself up to doing it or is he trying to talk himself out of it yeah I by don't leaving know. each time only charles knows the yeah. answer to that with him leaving the gun in the car i don't know if he just came in because he was angry and wasn't really sure what to do but, but he, he brought go, a gun he did he went yeah. he left the first time to go get a gun so once again he goes back after driving away after buying the pack of gum And this time he puts on a hat and a red bandana underneath of it, and he takes the gun into the store with him. He holds Robert at gunpoint and steals $100 from the cash register. He then forces Robert out of the store and into Charles's car. Charles drives to a remote area and forces Robert out of the car. 
A struggle ensues, and Charles ends up shooting and injuring Robert during the struggle. Charles then shoots Robert in the head, killing him. Robert left behind a young wife who was pregnant with their child. Well, that is so sad. I know. And for what? A stuffed animal. Yeah. He couldn't buy the stuffed animal on credit and got mad enough to kill this poor guy. Charles later said that this killing transformed him. He believed that he could now commit crimes without fear or guilt. So I think he was working up the nerve to do it. And then once it happened, he was like, hey, I I don't really feel scared and I don't feel a lot of guilt. Something broke then inside of him for sure. Charles confessed later to Carol that he had robbed the gas station. I think it was the next day he confessed to her. But he told her that he didn't kill the attendant. Charles later said that Carol was not fooled and that the killing actually bonded them together. How creepy is that? Instead of running the other way, somebody just tells you, oh, I robbed a gas station. She figures out that he's actually killed the person. And then she bonds closer to him instead of running the other way. I know. Most people would run. And that's why I find these cases so interesting. How these two worlds collide and align perfectly that they're both into it. Part of it could be, you know, when you do share your most inner secrets with someone, that does bond you in a relationship. The more that you share, the more that you open up, the more that bond is secured. Right. Does it actually override moral right? Killing someone is wrong. And just because I have a bond with you, we're buddy-buddy, doesn't mean that I'm going to be like, okay with you committing murder. Right. I would still be like, uh, okay, see ya. Yeah. Let's get you some help. The authorities believe that the murder was committed by a homeless person because just change was stolen. So they never investigated Charles as a suspect. And this would have been before security cameras, security cameras and everything and that like type that. Of thing. Yeah. So he was kind of off the hook. And that probably added to him feeling a little invincible. Well, and powerful, right? Exactly. Yeah. So then just weeks later, on January 21st, 1958, the couple's killing spree begins. Charles goes to Carol's house. I read that he was wanting to come to get her to elope. Not sure if this is the case. There was many different reports. Some of the other reports said that he wanted to patch things up with the parents and was wanting to invite Marion, Carol's stepfather, to go hunting. So we're not really sure exactly why. Carol was allegedly not home, and this part of the story has been highly debated, and we'll talk about it a little bit more later. When he gets there, Velda and Marion were upset with Charles. They told him to stay away from their daughter. According to Charles, Velda began hitting Charles. He hit her back, and at that moment, Marion came into the room to defend his wife with a claw hammer. He hears this scuffle happening, so he comes out with this hammer. That is believable. Yeah. And I'm going with Charles's accounts of this, because I feel like he's being more truthful about what actually happens. A truthful dirtbag? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, truthful dirtbag. If you're going to be a dirtbag, at least be a truthful Truthful one. one. So when Marion comes into the room with the claw hammer, Charles shoots Marion in the head. Velda tries to come after him with a large knife, and he shoots her in the face. Now, trigger warning for this next part, it involves a child. Velda begins trying to reach for her two-and-a-half-year-old baby girl who is screaming, so Charles repeatedly hits Velda in the head with the butt of the rifle. He then hits the baby with the butt of the rifle as well, because she won't stop crying. Little Betty Jean is still crying at this point, and Charles is quoted saying, I picked up that knife that the old lady had started to walk into the bedroom and the little girl kept yelling. I told her to shut up and I started to walk again and just turned around and threw the kitchen knife I had at her. They say it hit her in the throat, but I thought it hit her in the chest. I went on into the bedroom. Mr. Bartlett was moving around. So I tried to stab him in the throat, but the knife wouldn't go in. And I just hit the top part of it with my hand and it went in. Dirt bag. Oh, that poor baby. You know, she wouldn't stop crying. So he just chucked the knife at her. After he had hit her in the head with the butt of the rifle. So this escalates quickly. Well, he's in a rage, obviously. I believe that he went there to go and get Carol. They told him to leave her alone. They had heard these rumors that he had gotten her pregnant. Leave our daughter alone. We don't want to see you again. And I think that's what it took. It escalated and then he went psycho. Exactly. There is speculation when exactly Carol returns home. If she was home when her baby sister was murdered or afterwards or for the entire time. As a defense, Carol tries to say later that she was held hostage by Charles during all of this, but that turns out to be very unlikely. Either way, when Carol returns home, she helps Charles hide the bodies of her family. Velda's body was drug outside and shoved down the outhouse toilet opening. The baby was put in a box and also shoved down the outhouse with her mother. They took Marion's body and dumped it onto the floor of the chicken coop. Marion was 58 and Velda was 36 at the time of their deaths. Wow. 
Charles then goes to a payphone and calls Marianne's work and tells them that he won't be at work for a while because he is sick. So he's putting some thought into this. Charles and Carol clean up the bloody mess inside the house and camp out there for almost a week. The first night, they say they drank Pepsi and ate potato chips. So basically, like, nothing happened. They buy milk and bread on credit from the milkman each day, and Charles does go into the grocery store for a few other essentials. They turn away visitors with a note on the door that Carol wrote that says, Stay away. Everybody is sick with the flu. So nobody comes into the house at all. People are coming, trying to come to the house, and they keep turning people away. And you can see the note online if you go and take a look. Some of those who came by the house was Marion's boss, Carol's sister Barbara, Bob Van Bush, so Barbara's husband and Charles's friend, and Carol's grandmother. Bob did send the police, but they left believing Carol's story about the flu. Everyone was then starting to get suspicious. While hiding out in the house, Charles passes the time by throwing knives into the wall, playing cards, watching TV, and sawing the barrel off of the shotgun that he had. And it was reported that it was his brother's gun, that when he went after the service station to get a gun, that it was his brother's gun that he took. Meanwhile, Carol's family is riding away behind the house. They're playing cards and throwing knives in the wall and eating and doing whatever else, and her whole family is outside in the yard. Nobody that came to visit thought to walk around the back of the house. No, and the I smell did, would be awful. I did read that the house was in big disarray. That was oh, okay. garbage everywhere. It wasn't a well kept home at that time. So it wasn't as noticeable that there was rotting bodies out in the backyard. Yeah, I don't know how far away the chicken coop was to the house. I don't know if the outhouse was helping to hide the smell. Yeah, maybe. Finally, Carol's grandmother gets suspicious when she comes back to the house and Carol still will not let her in. She threatens to come back with the police. She tells her, if you don't open this door this second, I'm going to go to town and get a search warrant. You've got Chuck in there with you and don't try to tell me you don't. So once her grandma leaves, this makes Carol and Charles flee the Bartlett home. They believe her that she's serious this time. Grandma means business. On January 27th, the pair flee in Charles's car. They knew his car wasn't going to take them very far because he was having issues with his tires. Charles tried to repair one of the tires before they go, but it didn't hold. This landed them at a family friend's house, a 70-year-old bachelor named August Meyer, about 20 miles outside of Lincoln. He knew Charles since Charles was a kid. They would often even hunt on August's land. As they were driving up the dirt road to Meyer's house, they got the car stuck in the mud. They go up to the property and Charles ends up shooting August in the head. They put August in an outbuilding on the property and cover him with a blanket. He also shoots August's dog. They go into August's house. They steal his money and guns, but they stay there to eat his food and sleep the night. The next day, another neighbor helps them get the car out of the mud. They end up getting the car stuck again and decide to abandon the vehicle. So now they're walking on foot with a whole bunch of guns. They're walking on foot. And this leads us to their next two victims. 17-year-old Robert Jensen and his 16-year-old girlfriend, Carol King, see the young couple on the side of the road and stop to give them a lift. They're a couple of teenagers. They see these other two teenagers on the road and think, hey, let's help them out. And this is why we don't pick up hitchhikers anymore. I know. Sadly, it's true. You just never know. Charles forces them to drive to an abandoned storm cellar in Bennett. He shoots Robert Jensen multiple times in the head and attempts to rape Carol King. For whatever reason, he was unable to rape her. When her body is found, they do, however, discover stab wounds in her abdomen and pubic area. And Carol's okay with this. He was trying to rape her. That's competition, right? I did read that, that she was jealous about that. Yeah. So rather than get upset with Charles, she wanted to be the one to shoot and kill Carol King. Yeah. She later denies this, of course, and says that she stayed in the car the entire time, which I don't believe her. The killer couple then hop into Robert Jensen's car and are once again on the run, leaving the two bodies behind them in the storm cellar. Carol and Charles drive to a wealthy part of Lincoln. Charles was familiar with the area because of his garbage collecting days. They choose to enter the home of 47-year-old C. Lauer Ward and his 46-year-old wife, Clara Ward. It's interesting that he heads to the wealthier part of the neighborhood because he wants to be, like, affluent, right? Yeah, he's jealous of their wealth, and he's probably thinking, let's go to this area. He's familiar with it. And I don't know why he chose that home. It might be a home that he did pick up their garbage and was particularly jealous of. Mm -hmm. And they're going to need some money. They're going to need money to keep doing what they're doing to be on the So hit up the, the expensive homes. Exactly. When they get there, Charles stabs their hard of hearing 51-year-old maid Lillian Fensel to death as she was the only one at the house at this time. They decided to wait for Mr. and Mrs. Ward to get home. 
why not just take the stuff and leave? I didn't understand that either. Grab like all the that, things that you can and go. That's messed up. Let's wait around to kill some people instead of just taking what they needed. Yeah, why wait? They and they, they wait needed. all day there. While waiting, Charles kills the dog by breaking its neck so that it won't alert the wards that something is wrong when they oh. arrive home. Clara returned home first. She was sadly stabbed to death also. Charles states that Carol did most of the stabbing and that he only threw a knife at her. He later states that she also joined in on the stabbing of Lillian, the maid. When Lauer returned home later that evening, Charles kills him by gunshot. The couple gather valuable jewelry from the house to steal and take the ward's 1956 Black Packer to flee Nebraska. The murders of Lillian and the wards caused quite an uproar in the Lancaster County. The couple had managed to stay mostly under the radar up until now, but this was a wealthy industrialist and his wife and maid. Lauer was also a known friend of the governor. Oh, wrong person. Yep. To kill. Oops. Law enforcement agencies in the region began a house-to-house search for the perpetrators, and the governor contacted the Nebraska National Guard, and the chief of police called for a block-by-block search for the killer couple. Several sightings of the couple were reported, but police were unable to locate them. I was just thinking, do they actually plan of like, well, no, it was her that did all the stabbing. I just threw a knife, or it was him that did it. I was just an innocent bystander. I don't think so in this case, necessarily. Because Charles, he later admits to all the murders. He tells them this. That's how they have all these details is Charles gives this detailed account as to what happened. And he admits like, yeah, I shot him in the head. I did. I threw a knife at this baby and it hit her in the throat. So it wasn't like they were playing off each other, trying to get off, like create reasonable doubt. He was telling the story. Carol later, when they get busted, claims that she was, had nothing to do with it. So she's trying to just put it. All, all on, on Charles, him. throw him under the bus, and he he's admitting to his part in all of it. So much for love, right? Right? She just throws him under the bus. Yeah. I know, it's hard to feel sorry for Charles, but yeah. But yeah. <laughs> Charles and Carol realize that they need to find a new vehicle, since police are looking for that black 1956 Packard that they stole from the wards. And this brings them to their final victim. The couple come across a traveling salesman asleep in his car on the side of the highway just outside of Douglas, Wyoming. So they've crossed states now. 34-year-old Merle Collision was like a sitting duck fast asleep in his Buick. When Merle awoke, he was shot to death by the couple. Charles claims that when he went to shoot him, that the gun jammed. And Carol happily stepped in and performed a quote-unquote coup de grace, which means a fatal blow. With her own gun? Yeah, because they had stolen guns from August from his neighborhood friend. That's right. Yeah. Charles later described Carol as the most trigger-happy person he knew. Merle's car had a parking brake, which Charles was unfamiliar with. As they tried to drive away, the car kept stalling because Charles didn't know how to release the brake. Charles was trying to restart the engine when a passing motorist, Joe Sprinkle, stopped to help. It was said that Joe spotted the dead body of Merle, and when Charles went to shoot Joe, an altercation began. Can you imagine you're stopping to help this couple, and then you see this dead body? Just that moment of panic. Like, what the heck did I just get myself into? Crap, wrong car. Right? Should have kept driving. So Joe fights. He knows he's got to fight for his life. At that moment, the Natrona County Sheriff's Deputy, William Romer, had happened upon the scene. So he just happened to be driving. Yep, the deputy just happened to be driving by. And so he stops to see what's going on, probably to offer his help. Knowing they were caught, when the sheriff stops, Carol begins to run to the deputy, shouting about how Charles is going to kill her. Help me, help me! Insert eye roll. Okay. Maybe she really was just kind of under his spell. Maybe under his spell, but I don't think she was held hostage. Yeah. I do think she participated. They were six days in her family's home. That's with true. the dead bodies like, in the why back. Why not leave? Put yeah. a note on the door that says, help me. There's a murderer in here instead of don't come in. Everybody else has the flu. Or when the police did come to check on things, why wouldn't you have just ran to the police then? Right. Good point. When this deputy pulls up, Charles panics and he jumps back into the Packard and makes a run for it. This results in a high-speed chase exceeding 100 miles per hour, or for us Canadians, over 160 kilometers per hour. Shots are fired, and a bullet shatters Charles's back windshield. The flying glass happens to cut him and causes him to immediately pull over and surrender. Converse County Sheriff Earl Heflin was quoted saying, He thought he was bleeding to death, and that's why he stopped. Oh my goodness. Yep. So this hardened killer gets a little scratch. <laughs> And he, <laughs> and he stops immediately. That's it. That's all I got. Right? <laughs> like, he can stab someone to death, but the moment yeah. he's got some blood. 
Well, I guess what had happened is the glass had cut him on his ear. So he thought he had gotten shot. He probably thought he was shot in the head because all this blood was coming from his side of his head. And you've got all this adrenaline. He probably couldn't really tell. Yeah, but you'd think adrenaline would keep you going. Right? He just probably had all this blood and was like... a weird reaction. I'm going to die. I have to stop. So he stops and he surrenders and Charles is arrested. Probably saved other people's lives. Yep. There are actually pictures of his arrest, which made quite the stir. It was said that he was photographed well in a Hollywood kind of way. A quote that described him was, Bloodied, in chains, shaggy-haired, a cigarette dangling from his lips, wearing a black leather motorcycle jacket, tight black denim pants, blue and white cowboy boots with a butterfly design on the toes. He was a perfect looking young rebel killer. So he really looked like he had taken on the persona of James Dean. So hit up pop culture then. Yeah. So the media went wild into this. And then you get a famous killer. Yeah. Quickly, quickly became famous. So here's your new Bonnie and Clyde. Exactly. Here's this cool looking kid. He's got a leather jacket right down to the cigarette dangling out of his mouth. But when did he have time to get a cigarette? I don't know. He Maybe he had it behind his ear. I don't know. The bloody ear. Yeah, as I said, (laughs) I was like, but his ear's all bloody. Nonetheless, there's pictures of his arrest. He's got blood on his shirt. So people kind of went crazy over this. Oh, yeah. This this, looks like a big heartthrob. Yeah, perfect Hollywood young killer. Charles and Carol were tried separately. Both were tried as adults because of the seriousness of their crimes. Charles got to choose which state to be tried in since the murders were committed in both Wyoming and Nebraska. So they let him choose? They let him choose. That's a little weird. You pick the one without the death penalty, I guess. Well, what had happened is he figured that he would get the death sentence either way, that it was his time to die, he said. So he chose the electric chair in Nebraska over the gas chamber in Wyoming. But this actually ended up backfiring for him because he later found out that the Wyoming governor was against the death penalty, meaning he likely would have just received a life sentence. But nobody told Charles about this. They just kept (laughs) quiet. They're like, hey, yeah, you choose. But we're not going to tell you that if you choose Wyoming, you'll probably not get the death sentence. Both were charged. I know. Whoops. (laughs) Both were charged with first degree murder and murder while committing a robbery. The prosecution chose the murder of Robert Jensen to try them for since it was the most likely to shock and anger the juror. So this was the young boy that he had shot multiple times. Yeah. Charles' trial began on May 5th, 1958. His defense team wanted him to take a plea of insanity to get a lighter sentence, but Charles refused. To Charles and his family, the stigma of being thought of as insane was way worse than being classified as a cold-blooded murderer. At first when I read that, I was like, what? But you have to think about it. This was the 50s. Not a lot of open discussion about mental health and definitely not in a healthy way. Charles's lawyers still entered a plea of innocent by reason of insanity on his behalf, so they didn't listen to him. The prosecutor would have an easier time proving that he was sane while robbing and killing Robert Jensen than the defense would trying to prove that he was completely insane during the tragic events. Charles ended up confessing to all the murders that he had committed. So on May 23, 1958, only 18 days after his trial began, Charles Starkweather was sentenced to death by electric chair in Lincoln, Nebraska, at the Nebraska State Penitentiary. Just over one year later, on June 25, 1958, Charles was put to death at 12.04 a.m. He was offered steak as his final meal, but he turned it down and asked for cold cuts instead. In a letter from prison to his father, Charles admitted that he wasn't... Why are you laughing? Because the guy's obsessed with being like affluentially wants what the rich people have and they offer him steak and he turns it down for cold cuts. He wanted cold cuts. <laughs> when it comes to food though, you want what you want. <laughs> yes. Sorry. <laughs> That's just a weird choice for me. Yeah. Like why not have the steak? Why not say steak and cold cuts? Yeah. Take them both. It's always both, Christy. Always both. It's always both. If you can get both, get both. (laughs) Both Why order one dessert when you can order two? In a letter from prison to his father, Charles admitted that he wasn't really sorry for what he did because for the first time, him and Carol had more fun. And that's what it's all about. Let's have some fun. Dirtbag. In his prison cell on the wall, he had scratched the words, By the time anyone will read this, I will be dead for all the killings from Lincoln, Nebraska, Vegas, January 29th, 1958. Kill 11 persons. Then underneath of this, he had scratched in the heart shape with the words Charles Stockweather and Carol Fugate inside it. 
So that's what he'd written on there. I know it's <laughs> he dropped out of high school. <laughs> Geography and grammar weren't his subjects. <laughs> Can you imagine forever having your mistake written literally on stone? <laughs> There's no whiteout that covers that up. No, that baby's etched in there. <laughs> okay, time to get our composure back. I was able to find a newspaper article, the Madura Tribune, from June 25th, 1959, and I wanted to share a few quotes about his execution from it. Now, in the newspaper article, they put the time of death at 2 a.m., but it's actually 12. All of the reports say that it's 12, so there must have been a typo about that. Okay. So I just thought it was really cool to find an actual newspaper article about it, so I just wanted to read it. Charles Starkweather, red-haired confessor, slayer of 11 persons, went calmly to his death in Nebraska's electric chair earlier today. Five charges of electricity were pumped into the body of the 20-year-old killer. Dr. P.E. Getscher pronounced the killer dead at 12.05 a.m. only four minutes after he walked into the chamber. It continues, though, the part that I'm not going to read, it continues to explain how the veteran prison physician who was supposed to pronounce Charles dead had collapsed and died from a heart attack just minutes before the execution was to take place. Oh, that's why Charles' death seemed so calm. Maybe. Because <laughs> they just had a prison doctor's death. Yeah, in just moments before. But they were, however, still able to carry out the execution without any delay. The show must go on. It must go on. I'll read one more part from the newspaper. And just mind the grammatical errors in this one as well. Starkweather merely shook his head negatively when Deputy Warden John Greenholtz asked him whether he had a last statement. But earlier he made an apparent attempt at humor when Greenholtz entered his cell to announce it was time to go. What's your hurry? Starkweather was quoted by the Deputy Warren. Earlier in the evening, the Slayer told a guard, I had a feeling that tonight was the night. Starkweather entered the small garishly lighted chamber at 2.01 a.m which again was 12.01, and walked quickly to the large oaken chair. He shot the 40 spectators a quick glance. Pale, head shaved, his head was shaved and he was pale. A guard was close on either side of him, but he did not appear to need their help. He was seated and asked whether he had anything to say. He shook his head and officials began a grim job of preparing him for death. A green curtain was pulled around the chair as the electrodes were fastened into place and Starkweather was strapped into the chair. When the current was opened, the mask slayer presented a grotesque picture. The mask did not cover his nose or his shaven head, now fitted with the electrode. His left leg, gripped by another electrode, was bare to the knee. The anonymous executioner from outside the state threw the switch for the first time at 12.03 a.m. It says 2.03, but 12.03 a.m. Starkweather's body surged upward and outward against the heavy straps as the 1,200 volts struck. The second surge, one minute later, caused a crackling noise in the chamber. Three more charges, each hurling the Slayer's inert body against its bonds, were dealt the killer. Oh, that sounds so calmly. Well, he was calm. <laughs> Being electrocuted is not a calmly thing to happen, but Starkweather was calm. After his execution, and this part is crazy to me, but he was buried in Wayuka Cemetery in Lincoln. The same cemetery as five of his victims, including Mr. and Mrs. Ward. It's a small town. I don't know. It just doesn't seem right to me that if you were the family member of a victim and you're wanting to go to the cemetery to visit their grave, that you have to be there by maybe the same graveyard. Maybe as you their walk killer. by the killer's graveyard and stomp on it as you go by. Yeah, spit every time, yeah. put your gum on there. I don't know. I just feel like that would be that hard. It just doesn't seem right to me. Yeah. And that was the end of Charles Starkweather. That's the end of his story. Carol, on the other hand, her trial and sentencing went a little different. At first, like I said, she denied having anything to do with any of the murders. Trying to protect the girl he so passionately loved, Charles also stated at first that Carol had nothing to do with any of his crimes. Carol claimed that Charles kidnapped her and said if she left, he would kill her family. She claimed she didn't know that they were dead. But I just feel like if she didn't think her family was dead, where does she think they were? Yeah. And why'd she write the note and turn people away and stay in the house for six days like that? But if you are actually being held hostage and you are fearful of your captor, then you're going to do whatever he tells you to do, right? That and is so true. maybe he just told her to do those things. But where did she think they were? Because she's claiming she oh, thought they were alive. 14. That, that he was going to kill them if she didn't listen. She's 14 though. Like how much forethought or how much thought do you think she actually put into it? If know. this is somebody you love and you don't think that, well, I guess he had already confessed to killing somebody. So you know he's capable of murder. You definitely know. But he confessed to the robbing, but he said she knew that he did kill him. 
I don't know. I think some 14-year-olds are gullible enough to just go along with, this is a person I trust and it's somebody that loves me and so I'm just going to do whatever they tell me to do. And then when you become fearful of them, then you have to go along with what they're telling you to do because you're fearful of them. Maybe. Maybe. Not how I see it, but I can see how some people might think that. And there is speculation that she might have been home even during the killings of her family. Like that part is not very clear. That would be a game changer then. That would be definitely. You can't deny that. Yeah. I don't know where my family is. Exactly. And then you watch them get murdered. So there is speculation and debate about all of that. It's pretty murky when it comes to about her family being killed. However, once he found out that Carol claimed that Charles was holding her hostage and she began denying being his girlfriend, that's when it said that Charles let the truth come out. So he was trying to cover her before, saying she had nothing to do with it. And once he found out that she said, well, he's not even my boyfriend, then he got upset. And that's when he told the truth. Then he's hurt, right? right? So then he figures, what do I have to lose? Why should I protect her then? He even testified at her trial, stating that she was a willing participant, calling her trigger happy. Charles said she could have escaped any time she wanted. And then later said, if I fry in the electric chair, she should be sitting in my lap. The judge did not believe that she was held hostage by Charles Starkweather and determined that she had numerous opportunities to escape. Charles said, quote, she could have escaped at any time. I left her alone lots of times. Sometimes I would go in and get hamburgers and she would be sitting in the car with all the guns. There would have been nothing to stop her from running away. And I feel like if she was sitting in the car with all the guns while he's going in to get burgers and fries, she was armed. She had all these guns with her. But then you look into cycles of abuse and there's lots of people that will stay even though they have ample opportunity because they're fearful of what if they're found. Exactly. But there was no abuse prior to this. Right. He didn't lay his hand on Carol. He didn't, other than annihilating her family. Mm-hmm. They had a good relationship, even mm-hmm. during this point. A good relationship? That Well, <laughs> before all they're this... murdering people. It's a good relationship. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not defending, but up to this time, they were infatuated with yeah. each other. They were still in the honeymoon period. Exactly. Yeah. She thought he was so cool and he was infatuated with her. Totally head So it probably heels. is more the case that she's just trying to cop out. She's I a little bit so. smarter than him. Remember, she's the wizard. That's right. So she's trying to get her way out of it. And he's the dumbest guy that employer had ever hired. Yeah. When questioned about what had happened after Charles killed Carol's family, Charles said, I cleaned up. When asked what Carol was doing during the time he was cleaning up, Charles said Carol was, quote unquote, watching TV. So that doesn't seem too upset if that's true. That seems really cold. Yeah. So I don't know about you, but I kind of believe, well, I do believe Charles. He was truthful about what he had done. And Carol trying to say that she was 100% innocent doesn't seem believable to me. No, it doesn't actually. Unsurprisingly, Carol was found guilty of murder on November 28, 1958. Because she was a 14-year-old girl, Carol was sentenced to life in the Nebraska Center for Women, so she did not get the death penalty. Carol was the youngest female in the United States to be tried for first-degree murder. While serving her sentence, Carol was considered to be a model prisoner and was paroled in 1976 after serving just 17 years. Wow. So she's out now? She's out. She's free. She's still alive. She's somebody's grandma. Yep. After being paroled, she lived in Lansing, Michigan, and worked as a janitorial assistant at Lansing Hospital. In 2007, Carol married Frederick Clare, a machinist who also worked as a weather observer for the National Weather Service. They moved to Stryker, Ohio. In 2013, he was fatally injured in a car accident. And this made big news because it was, you know, husband of killer died in crash were the headlines for this. The most recent record of resident puts her in Hillside, Michigan, but I'm not sure how accurate that is. Carol would be 78 years old now. She is retired and goes by the name Carol Ann Claire. In February 2020, so just recently, Carol was denied a pardon of her crimes. She said she wants to be alleviated of the burden of being known as a convicted killer. To this day, she maintains her innocence and refuses to talk about Charles. And she does not want to be known as a murderer. She wants that. So that is so interesting. To be pardoned. Because the case that we'll talk about next week is going to be the same thing. Killer maintains her innocence. And so does that mean that they actually are innocent? Or does that mean that they're just sticking to their story? I think she's just sticking to her story. And because even when her husband died in the car accident, it wasn't man dies. It was husband of convicted murderer dies. Right. In fatal crash. Is she honestly just trying to clear her name though? Because she actually believes that she's innocent. Is she like that deluded? Well, there is a book about her about being the 12th victim. Mm. I don't know. Only Charles and Carol know when it comes down to it. 
But this is a good time, I think, to note, uh, speaking about being known as a killer, you can actually watch videos and interviews from the Starkweather family today on how being related to Charles and having the Starkweather name has affected them. Oh, that would be huge. It's really interesting. Yeah, I would have liked to have gotten into it. We just don't have time to do something that to today. Check out for sure. Yeah, so that might be something that you'd want to check out. And that we don't think of sometimes when we're talking about cases. Like, what about the rest of the family, the remaining family? Yeah, because they weren't killers. Right. right. Especially like a more current case where people are still alive that were involved in the story. Right. And it doesn't sound like his childhood was like, they didn't raise him to be a killer. Not that every, anybody raises people to be killers, but it doesn't sound like it fit the bill. No, his childhood trauma did not come from his family. Yeah. He had a good family life. It came from the bullying at school. So before we go, I have one last thing to point out that I was not aware of until I looked deeper into this case. This case is depicted in so many forms of media. It's unreal how many. So I'm going to talk about just a few of them because some of them you might recognize. So many movies were based on this case, which includes The Sadist, Badlands, and Natural Born Killers. But there's many more. Oh, I can totally see Natural Born Killers. Yeah. And yeah. that's a more current one, Natural Born Killers. Like, I think The Sadist was soon after this had happened. Some of them were older, but yeah, Natural Born Killers. These kids just going on a spree. Yeah. Numerous TV shows have even had episodes inspired by the case, including an episode called The 13th Step in Criminal Minds, which depicts a newlywed couple who go on a similar killing spree. Oh, and lots of TV shows. Like, if you look it up, there's a lot of TV shows that are based on this. And I would have, I mean, I've watched all the Criminal Minds, I think, so I would have seen that that episode not knowing that that was referring to Starkweather and Fugate. It makes you wonder just how many episodes like TVs and movies are based on kind of real life happening. Even if it's loosely based, yeah. it's the idea from that. There have also been multiple books written about or inspired by the couple. There's even a photo book published that includes pictures of the route they traveled during their killing spree, reproductions of documents and items that belong to Carol, Charles and their victims. Nebraska has a state historical society that displays paintings that were supposedly done by Starkweather, photos, and even the guns that he used during the murders. There are even songs whose lyrics are based on Charles Starkweather and Carol Fugate. Oh, that is interesting. Yeah, and these two you're going to know. I picked out the two that I thought most people yeah. would know to talk about. So Bruce Springsteen's 1982 song called Nebraska... And then Billy Joel's song, part of his song of We Didn't Start the Fire. Have you heard that one? Yeah. Most people have. Has a part in that song about Do you have the lyrics Carol. for it? I didn't write them out. Oh. I did read about them. They're two of the most well-known ones that I referenced, but there are many more. Are you looking at Hold on. Up? I'm looking up the lyrics because now I'm curious. Did you find it? Yeah. There it is. Fifth verse, last line, stark weather homicide. So it's referenced in it there. It is totally referenced in there. Okay, so that kind of leads me to my next point or a question that I have for you and for everybody listening. Why do you think they got all of this attention? Do you think it was their young ages, being a couple, it being a spree killing like a rampage? Was it because of Charles's James Dean persona and Carol's pretty girl next door image? Because this I is a lot know. in pop culture. This is a lot of influence. And I barely talked about any of it. There's so much. It just shocks and awes us, I guess. And that is the crazy and volatile story of the young killer couple, Charles Starkweather and Carol Ann Fugate. Double dirtbags. Dirtbag lovers. <laughs> Aw, so sweet. No, not really. She was 14. That's a little gross. That's true. Ooh, gross. But it does make you think back to, do you think that she actually played a part or was she innocent? Was she this kid that was just along for the ride and didn't really understand? Or was she totally the trigger happy person that he describes her as? Right. And I think that she did go along with it. I think she participated. I think there was ample times for her to get away. But I am curious. What do you guys think, our listeners? Do you think that she was his 12th victim or do you think she was a willing participant? Yeah, absolutely. Go to our Facebook and Instagram page and tell us what you think. Yeah, we're excited to hear. And that's it for today from us. Next week, Melissa will dig deep into another true crime story. So we hope that you'll come back and join us again. Otherwise, we'll see you guys later. Bye.
One, two, three. One of the most interesting. Nope. (laughs) I feel like there should be some back and forth. I know. (laughs) Favorite type of murderer? No, I'm not. Oh, Oh. we are recording right now. (laughs) Okay, let's start. (laughs) Let's just start over. There you go. Okay. Here comes the bottle. The bottle glasses. Oh. Like the bottle? What do you mean? What are those? The Coke bottle glasses, right? The right. super thick. Why can't I say when and exactly together? <laughs> when exactly? Charles and Carol clean up the body. Charles and... Let's try this again. What am I trying to say? I guess you can only kill a person once. Yeah. So why? Go through all the paperwork of the other ones. Back to the oh. mic. What's happening? You're recording. Oh! <laughs> Stop. We've been recording too long. For anybody that does not know, that was the sound of Melissa's growling stomach because we need to break for lunch. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I did eat know. breakfast before we started. <laughs> We're almost done. I'm on my last page. You almost made it. Hey, we're live, pal. And we'd love for you to come check out our podcast, Tales from the Estate. Each week, we talk about our top five favorite somethings. My beautiful wife, Caitlin, likes to share all sorts of random facts. Yeah. Did you know that cows have accents? We did now, but we also review all sorts of snacks and other great things. And so if you love everything random, I think you'd enjoy Tales from the Estate. So come check us out. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Bye. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.